Uh, have I ever preached from the pulpit? <laughs> I don't think I've ever done this before. Um, many of you know that I spent the spring of 2003 to the spring of 2004 in Baghdad as an army chaplain for the first year of the war in Iraq. I went with a chemical battalion, most of whom had known one another. They had served together for quite some time. They tossed me in at the last minute to fill in for a chaplain who had got taken sick. So I didn't know any of these people. So I wound up getting on a plane, really not knowing the folks I would be serving with. But over the course of a year, as I got to know them, uh, developed just some wonderful friendships. And even in the midst of difficult time, we just had some marvelous times and created some marvelous memories. I remember being in a morning commander's briefing. Every day we would start with our commander, his command staff would sit around a table, and we would take our turns standing up and briefing our commander on whatever our area was. And the briefs always started with our intelligence officer. He would give what we call the significant activity report. He would say, you may have heard the explosion last night, this is what it was, or we have word of an attack there, or we are being told to be careful in the future because of this, he would give our intelligence briefing, our significant activity report. But that would always start with the weather, which for us was a significant activity, actually. Uh, he would always walk up, come to attention, say, good morning, sir, and then raise a clipboard, and he might start by saying, the current temperature is 115 degrees, the high today is expected to be 138 or something like that. And he would say that early on, we had no air conditioning. So as he would tell us it was 115 degrees, we are experiencing the full 115 degrees, knowing that it's going to climb 20 degrees or more over the course of the day. It was warm, is what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, and so one morning, after doing this week after week, Cedric, my friend, walked up, snapped to attention, said, good morning, sir. Very, very formally, as always, held up his clipboard, stared at it for a minute, thought about it for a minute, then he just started fanning himself and he said, it's darn hot. <laughs> he really didn't say darn, but I, I can't quote him exactly. And it just kind of broke us up and we laughed about that for the rest of our tour. So there were a lot of just laughter and good memories, but certainly a lot of challenges as well. Uh, a year is a long time to be gone. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you have done much more than that. So there were those times when it was just exceptionally difficult, depending on what was going on. Times I just desperately missed home and desperately missed my family. And on days like that, often late at night, I'd go back to the chapel when nobody else was around, and I had a little desk that was... Uh, on one side of a hallway and on the other side was a door into a closet. And in that closet was a window with bars on it. We never knew why there were bars in that window because we converted that building into a chapel from the way we found it. But I would go in late at night on tough days, open that closet door, sit in my desk chair and look at the bars in those windows because there was a part of me that felt like I was in prison there. I could not go home. I can move freely around post, we travel around country, we traveled around the continent. But at the end of the day, I could not go home. 
And on those particularly tough days, I would stare at those bars and they would look like prison bars to me. And I would say, Lord, I still want to go home. Now, I couldn't say that to anybody else. My job as a chaplain was to encourage people, not to depress people. Uh, So I tried to keep that kind of stuff between me and God. But there were those nights that I would just say, Lord, I so want to go home. And it was there. It was there. I tell you that story because I want you to understand it was there that I really fell in love with the book of Philippians. Because I was, as I would stare at those bars and they would look to me like prison bars, so often what I would do would be open my Bible to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And remember that there was once a man who actually sat in prison and even while sitting in prison still found himself filled with joy. And so I turned to Philippians so often that year. Uh, Not every night was that bad, but I had my share. And when I did, I would read Philippians. That's why I so love this book. And partially why for the last eight weeks we have been slowly but surely working our way through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And why the title is Always Rejoicing. Because joy is such a prominent theme. Even in the most challenging of circumstances, the Apostle Paul still found joy. And so we've been looking at these ways that God gave Paul joy and also ways that God gave, gives us joy. And the letter continues to amaze me because you think about the situation in which Paul found himself. There in prison, he might be released, maybe, but he might be detained much longer. He might be allowed to live, maybe, but he might also be put to death. He did not know his fate. We could have understood if Paul had had just a little bit of self-pity in there. We could have understood a little bit of poor, pitiful me, but you don't hear that at all, do you? Instead, let me remind you some of what we've heard. In chapter 1, he says this, sitting in his cell, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually spread the gospel. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters have been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. And they dare to speak the word with greater boldness. And without fear. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this Christ is proclaimed in every way whether out of false motives or true. And in that, I rejoice. There are people on the outside claiming to be preaching the gospel, but really just trying to increase Paul's suffering. And even still, he says, but that's okay. I can rejoice because Christ has preached. In chapter 2, when again, he could have said, you know, if there was ever a time to be selfish, this is my time. But that's not what he says at all. Instead, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not to your own interest, but where? To the interest of others. In chapter 3, whereas he could have said, you know, they just don't understand who I am. They don't understand all the things I've done. Instead, he says this, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. All through the letter, he is filled with joy, no matter the circumstance in which he finds himself. It's remarkable when you think about it. It truly is. That he could write this letter from prison and not sound like he's wallowing in self-pity, but rather seek to encourage the church. Can I tell you this? If during the benediction, people walked in with guns and handcuffs and arrested me for proclaiming the gospel and hauled me off to prison and said, you might live and you might die, you might be freed, but you might stay in jail, but we will grant you this one thing. We will allow you to write a letter back to your congregation. If I was able to write a letter to you from prison in the same situation in Paul found him, which Paul found himself, can I tell you what my letter would say? My letter would say, help Come get me. But not Paul. Not Paul. And so here we are in chapter 4. Right at the end of the letter. And Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Because simply rejoicing in the Lord is not enough for him. He rejoices in the Lord greatly. He, because he says, at last you have revived your concern for me. You remember what happened? The church in Philippi had sent a gift, a very generous financial gift to Paul while he was in prison. They sent it with their native son, Epaphroditus. We have talked about him. Epaphroditus took this gift to Paul so that he might be able to have some things he would not have otherwise. Epaphroditus stayed to try to help be in ministry to Paul and attend to his needs. And Paul sends him back with this letter. And he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because you have revived your concern for me. And verses 10 through 20, really, are kind of a, an awkward thank you note. Awkward because Paul wants to express his gratitude, but he's threading this needle to say, thank you, but I don't really need you. I appreciate what you did, but you didn't have to do it. I didn't need you to do it. Verse 11, he says, I'm not referring to being in need. And then he says, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Paul had learned to be content. So he wants to say, thank you. But God provides everything for me. I'm not indebted to you or to anyone else because God provides all my needs. And I've learned to be content with whatever I have. Learning to be content is something we don't see much of anymore. We live in a culture where everyone seems to want more. Very few people seem to be content. I read an interesting definition of contentment. It was reality minus expectations. So if you expect this, but your reality is only here, then you are not content because you don't have what you expect. When your reality does not measure up to your expectations, it's hard to find contentment. 
So say you have a two-year-old car, and it looks good, and it runs well, but you just really want something new because you just really want something new. So those are your expectations, but your reality doesn't meet those expectations. So you're not content with what you've got. Say you have a good job that pays you a nice salary, but really you want more. You know if you had more, you could spend more. So you want more. So your reality is not measuring up to your expectation, so you are not content. Say you have a cell phone that will do everything you need it to do, but your neighbor has the new iPhone 7 and you really expect the new iPhone 7. So your reality doesn't measure up to your expectations. So you're not content. Say you came to church expecting to hear the bishop only to find out you're a week early. Wait a minute, that's a bad bad example. (laughs) Nothing wrong with a slightly used car, a really good job, or a perfectly working phone, unless you expect more. And when your reality does not measure up to your expectations, you are discontent. Contrast that with what Paul says. I have learned to be content regardless of my circumstances. I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little And I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret, the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. Paul says, I've had a lot, I've had nothing. I've been full, I've been hungry. I've been on the mountaintop and I've been in the valley. It doesn't matter. I am always content because I've learned the secret. Now remember, I said this last week, These letters were read in public worship, so everybody heard them together at the same time. They've listened to the entirety of the letter, and we're right here at the end, and Paul says, I can be content in all things because I know the secret. If you're sitting in church in Philippi that day, you're on the edge of your seat saying, well, I want to know that secret because I'm not always content. What is that secret? And you learn that Paul never forgets what's truly important. You can remember a lot of things on the periphery of what's important, but if you don't stay focused on what's truly most important, you'll find that you're never really going to be content. You can get almost everything right, but if you don't get the most important thing right, it all means nothing. Many years ago, Uh, Right after we found out that Susan was pregnant with our first child, uh, she had some time and she wanted to go visit her folks. Now, we lived in Fort Oglethorpe at the time, just this side of Chattanooga. Uh, Her parents at the time were in Raleigh, North Carolina. Nice little drive. And I don't remember why I couldn't go, but I couldn't go. And at the time, she didn't want to make the drive by herself. So we bought her a plane ticket. Uh, This was back in the day you could go to the gate even just to... To, uh, to put somebody on a plane. So I walked her to the gate, put her on the plane. Off she went to spend a few days in North Carolina, uh, and I was home doing whatever. And then I went back to meet her, to welcome her home. And I had everything set just right, I thought. I had made dinner reservations at a nice place. I had bought flowers. I arrived early before the flight was even due to touch down because I didn't want to miss a moment. Uh, Again, you could go to the gate back in the day. 
So I'm at the gate waiting on the flight to land. The flight lands. And I'm there with flowers in my hand on the balls of my toes looking around. Just can't wait to see her. Looking forward to her getting off that plane. And I look around at the other people in the gate area. And there are other folks like me. They seem excited. They can't wait. But there's still others that look kind of withdrawn. Look a little anxious. And I started to wonder about their anxiety. And I thought, they're not sure the person they're looking for is getting off that plane. They're worried that maybe there were second thoughts, maybe something has happened. Some of these people came with the expectation of a big homecoming, but they're going to go home disappointed. I thought, those poor slobs are just not going home. They're, they're, they're going to be disappointed. I thought, that's just kind of sad. It's just kind of pitiful. Almost pathetic, really. Uh, but I'm, still, I'm thinking about all this as I'm watching the door and waiting on Susan, and they finally open the door. You know, if you've ever watched uh, people get off a plane, there's a big rush as everybody's getting off, and people come up, and people are hugging, saying, good to see you, glad you're here, welcome home, whatever. And then there's a small break, and then a, there's another rush, and same kind of thing. And I'm still looking for Susan, excited, holding my flowers. And then it's, the crowd starts to trickle, and then there's just, you know, a handful of people coming the next wave. A couple of people come in the next wave. Finally, one solitary person walks off, and I'm still standing there holding my flowers, looking. And then they close the door. And it dawns on me, I'm one of those poor, pitiful, pathetic people. (laughs) The person I'm looking for is just not there. And I'm just standing there like a bum holding the flowers for nobody. And I thought, I don't, you know, I don't understand. I know she's coming home. This was way before cell phones and, you know, electronic calendars. I pulled the calendar out of my pocket. I said, I know she's coming home tomorrow (laughs) I had almost everything right almost everything right but I missed the most important thing Paul always remembered the most important thing he says I know what it is to have little and have plenty in all circumstances I've learned the secret of being well fed going hungry having plenty being in need because I can do all things And him who strengthens me. Not some things. Not a handful of things. Paul knew how important it was. To rest in the promise. That he could do all things. In Christ. Who gave him strength. Paul says I can do all things. I can face anything. I can endure everything. I can deal with whatever comes my way. So long as I am in Christ who provides me that strength. He never lost sight of that. So he was always content because that was all that was important. I quoted that verse more than once yesterday, standing right here. If you've ever been in Mary Detmering's home, that verse, Philippians 4.13, is plastered in every room. Mary never went far without seeing those words, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I mentioned that at her service yesterday. Because it was important to her. Because she knew that secret. Paul says, I've learned the secret. I can't do any of this on my own. If, I, if, if, it's, tru- if it's my expectations and what I can do, I'll never be content. But I'm always content. Because I know that I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. Late at night... I'd walk in the chapel and I would look at those bars of that window 
and I would feel like I was sitting in prison. And I would read through some of Philippians, and there were those nights when it would be particularly difficult, and I would say, God, I don't think I can do another day. And God would say, you are so right. You can't. Not in your strength. You didn't do today in your strength. You didn't do yesterday in your strength. But you can do tomorrow. Because I will give you strength. It's not your strength you have to count on. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's where I fell in love with Philippians. That's where I realized more than I had ever had before. That that was true for me. And that it was true for you. Just like it's true for the Apostle Paul. And when we live in that truth, we are always content. And we are always rejoicing. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for the words of your servant Paul. For how no matter what his circumstances, Lord, he found joy in you. He found strength in you. Lord, day by day, give us that strength, your strength. Give us that joy, your joy, so that we too might be able to do all things. In Jesus' name, amen.